Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. I say to people, take a look at what you need to earn over the course of the year. If people are coming to asking for sliding scale, you need to do the math ahead of time. How much of a reduction in fee will that be for you? How far are you willing to slide that scale and set that limit and and make it permanent? Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, we have a conversation with Roxanne Francis. Roxanne Francis, uh, as I mentioned at the start of our chat, is local to me. She is a Toronto-based, award-winning registered social worker and psychotherapist. She runs a group practice. She offers organizational workshops on lots of topics like race and equity, mental health, and parenting. And she also supports and coaches and mentors a lot of other therapists in the field about starting a practice everything that goes into that. And that is very much what we dug into today was her expertise in that area of mentoring so many other therapists. Roxanne and I talked about the biggest questions that therapists ask, you know, starting out their journey into private practice. We get into fees, sliding scale, and she talks about the biggest oversight that she sees therapists making as they are planning out their practice. It was a lovely conversation with Roxanne. I'm really excited to share it with you. Here is Roxanne Francis. So Roxanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, we were just saying off mic, I was just saying that I'm excited to finally have you on because you are, I mean, to me, you are local-ish. You are Toronto-based-ish. Yes. Yes. I mean, we take what we can get on the internet, right? That's You're right. only like an hour and a half or maybe an That's hour drive right. from me. I go to Toronto to the aquarium sometimes with my toddler. Oh, awesome. Very close. And uh, your 
focus and your part of your niche, because you do a lot of things, you're a woman of several hats. Yes. <laughs> but you, you supervise a lot of therapists. Yes. Yes, I do. So I have certification in uh, clinical supervision. And so I mentor a handful of therapists, but I also run uh, group supervision programs. And I also do individual supervision with a handful of people. I coach therapists who are new to the private practice space or who are turning their private practice from part-time to full-time. And I also uh, supervise placement students through the University of Toronto. So I kind of lays between the classroom and uh, their placement location, making sure that, you know, all of their practicum needs are met and that they're managing their practicum well. Mm, that's like such an impactful kind of role or multiple roles there that you play. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. I, I mean, it's multiple, but I find that it's more or less some of the same work. Sure. And yeah. it's important to me because I find that when I was in grad school, you know, and they they spat out these new clinicians, there were, were still a lot of questions in the how mm-hmm. of doing the work. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people who are new to the field or who are new to private practice have a lot of those how questions and yeah. they're not sure where to turn. So I'm happy to to provide that. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember just how hungry I was for that kind of like mentorship and support when I was like, you know, brand new in private practice. And I was basically like kind of a brand new therapist and brand new in private practice at almost the same time. It's like I practiced right. for, I think, just a year before yeah. I went to private practice. So I, I remember being on the other side of those kinds of relationships. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious with all of this support and all these conversations that you've had with all these yeah. therapists, what is the biggest question you find that they ask over and over again? Yeah, it's usually a money question as we're here on this podcast. It's usually about, you know, what should I set my fees at? Right. To me, it's such a simple question, but again, I've been in the field for a little bit, but people will say, you know, you know, I'm new to the field. I'm not sure if I should charge this much or everybody else on this directory is charging this fee. I guess I should charge that as well. Or, you know, I'm a registered psychotherapist as opposed to a registered social worker. Maybe my fee should be different. Or I've been working at agency and I've never had a private practice. So maybe I should start at the bottom. And so there are all these discrepancies and misnomers about what I should charge. And I'm always telling people, first of all, think about your experience, think about your education, think about the transformation that you're providing to people. Right. I also walk them through, you know, how many weeks are you going to be working throughout the year? If you are leaving a full-time job, an agency job to get into this private practice work, you know, are you looking to replace that income? Are you looking to only make a percentage of that income? Right. And so then if you plan that out over the course of the year, how many months are you going to be working? How many days per week are you going to be working? What do your bills and expenses look like? Right. And sometimes people will add up, you know, rent, car payment, electricity bill, phone bill, and then they'll come up with this much. And then I will say, well, do you plan on eating? (laughs) Do you plan on going to brunch with your girls every once in a while? Mm -hmm. You need to live, right? And so what do those things add up to? And then let's compare those numbers. And then we can talk about what that would look like in terms of a feasible fee for you, right? Yes. Oftentimes people just pluck a number out of the air and yeah. say, well, everyone else is charging that. So maybe I should charge that too. And yes. you really have to look at your lifestyle 
And is it is the math going to be mathing? Right? Yes. Is it going to be adding the math up? Needs math. It does. <laughs> yeah. And what I what I love and what I hear in that is even if you're X Y Z, even if you're new, right. even if you're this, even if you're right. that, you still need to live your life and be okay. Right. Right. Because right. like almost right. sometimes I wonder if there is this bit of this ethos that we, you know, that's ingrained in us as like new XYZ, yes. you know, whatever your field is that you need to pay your dues. And like, yes. you're supposed to suffer at first. Like, exactly. you know, you're not thinking about brunch with your friends. Cause you're like, well, I'm, I'm not supposed to do well right. at first. Do, exactly. do you feel like that might be in there? I yeah. Yes. I find that all the time. And as recent as last week, I said to someone, and I will put it this here, no shade to dentists, but when you <laughs> go to the dentist's office and you have whatever procedure, we don't say, well, has this dentist been in the field for 20 years or did they just graduate last year? Mm -hmm. When you go to the front desk and they tell you what the huge price is without, you know, without batting an, an eyelid and yeah. they're smiling, we pay the amount and we just leave. Yes. But when it comes to our profession, we tend to ask ourselves, mm, I've only been in the field for a year. Maybe I shouldn't charge that much. Mm. You know, what you know is what you know. Yes. And the transformation that you provide is a transformation that you provide. And we've been in school for a really long time. Yes. And yes. we would not be doing this work unless we had a certain baseline of knowledge. And that knowledge has tremendous value. And so we have to charge the, the, the fee that is appropriate for you. Mm -hmm. We have to charge what we're worth. And someone in the field for 10 years and someone in the field for two years, their value isn't you know, there isn't a huge difference in, right? So we have to be mindful. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that kind of earning your due narrative has a lot of holes in it or problems. Oh, lots of holes. Yeah. And something that I've, I've thought about before, and, and I think I even observed this in myself is like, when you're a new therapist, you might not have five years of experience, but you're fresh. You're right. remarkably not burnt out. Right. When you meet somebody, they're new and you see them as a new thing rather than like, oh, this is my 60th person with depression that I exactly. treated, right? Like I think, <laughs> I, you know, I think in certain ways, you know, we do become better over time, but in other ways we, we don't, right? Like right. it's not a guarantee that you actually become a more effective clinician exactly. over time. Many people over become time. less effective over time. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And that's something that I would always notice. Um, this was actually one of my reasons for, for retiring from therapy at this time is I started to notice like going to conferences, you know, with, with people who are working in my niche and I'd see people who are in the field for like 40 years. And I'm like, Oh, oh gosh. dear. Oh, gosh. <laughs> First of all, I don't want your life. Secondly, mm -hmm. you seem really like kind of like numb and like very blase about like ritual abuse. That mm -hmm. seems like not a great like response to have to something so horrific, but you know, we become kind of vicariously traumatized in our own ways, or we numb out to certain things to cope. Right you know, as part of kind of the occupational hazards of what we do. And that doesn't necessarily make you a better clinician decades in. So exactly. longer is not exactly. always better. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> You're so right. So, I mean, thinking about fees, like something that I know I grappled with when I was actively practicing and that I see students grapple with all the time in Money Skills for Therapists and, and you know, in every therapist Facebook group under the sun is balancing what we just talked about, that fee you need to live, that like cold, hard math yes. with like wanting to be accessible and wanting to serve and wanting to have a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like in your perspective, can these things coexist? Yes, I, I do believe they can. And, you know, as someone who used to work in agency myself, 
I see the need, right? Mm -hmm. There are people who desperately need therapy and they can't afford the big dollars. And there's this creation of of, of the haves and the have-nots and mm -hmm. who can get therapy and who can't, right? And so I understand the need to wanting to create a sliding scale. And again, I can't tell everybody what to do, but or anyone what to do really. But I say to people, take a look at what you need to earn over mm -hmm. the course of the year. If people are coming to you asking for sliding scale, you need to do the math ahead of time how much of a reduction in fee will that be for you, mm -hmm. right? How far are you willing to slide that scale and set that limit and, and make it permanent, right? Yeah. But also to ask yourself, can I see this person ongoing at this fee? Mm -hmm. Or is it, I can see one person sliding to this point for eight sessions mm -hmm. and then that's it, right? right? Or am I going to have one pro bono client for four sessions and then that's it, you know, or maybe three pro bono clients for the year, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. set yourself a certain number yeah. of sliding scale clients, then set how far you're willing to slide that scale mm -hmm. and then work that into your math of how much money you need to live for the year. Right. Right. Yes. Otherwise yes. we find ourselves in a situation where we're giving our services away because we've got these giant, this, these giant bleeding hearts. Yes, we do. And then yep. we can't afford to, I don't know, buy shoes for our children or put food in our fridge. Yeah. Yeah. That piece about like that bound, the boundaries and clarity, right? It's like, absolutely yeah. do it, but be clear yes. on like what you can do, how long you're willing to do it. Exactly. Um, having that clarity. Cause I think when, when we go in, and you know, you have one person at $50. So then the next person calls and yes. to give them $50. And, and what I found, you know, this happened to me when I started my practice. This is one of the things when, when new clinicians in money skills ask me, like, what is the thing? What's the mistake I should not make that I'm probably making right now? Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I talk about mm -hmm. is like, yeah, you got to be super clear on sliding scale from the start. Cause I think also at first that want to be accessible and that like, mm -hmm. you know, bleeding heart, but also, you know, social justice values and all of these things. Right also can collide with our desperation and fear. Yes. <laughs> we're not going to fill our 100%. practice. And like, exactly. You know, I, I remember at first making the joke, like I was almost like going around, like, will you be my client? Will you be my client? Mm -hmm. Will you be my client? Begging everybody. I'm making a begging motion, which people can't see because it's a podcast, <laughs> but these things can combine. And then suddenly, you know, you've made this commitment to all these people because you haven't put limits on it. Right. Right. Because that's part of it too, is what I'm hearing is like, have that clear conversation up front of this is the timeline of what we're doing. Right. So that you're setting appropriate expectations, because that's also like clinically appropriate yeah. to make sure you're being clear about, you know, the, what your work together is going to look like. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Set your you quota, can, stick to it. Yes. Because something that occurs to me sometimes too, and, and I've heard people say this in different ways, but I just read an article today in the Globe and Mail, one of our Canadian national newspapers about a woman in Ottawa, who's a, a single mom. She has a daughter with autism. She bought a building. Like, I think it was like half of a duplex for her first rental property and the tenants refused to pay rent and they're refusing to vacate. Oh. She was a financial advisor. So because her credit started to suffer, she lost her designation as a financial advisor oh. and like, can't get into this building, can't get people out of this building. And something that she wrote in there that I think it's very extreme, her situation, but I think it also relates to us therapists is like, she was like, I can't afford to take care of these people, right? right? Like, and, and, you know, when we are sliding our scales, we're making a conscious decision to say like, this is what I generally need, but I can help these people in this way, but being clear about right. what you can do. Cause there are people who do sit on millions or billions and they could actually afford to have somebody living in their property, not paying rent for a long time and it wouldn't impact them. This right. woman, it's like literally destroying her life. Yeah. Other extreme. And so for us, it's like, 
what will be the impact of this for you? And how long can you support this impact? Because we are kind of making this trade of we're kind of giving them that money back rather than Mm -hmm. it coming home to our families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I also find is that there are some clinicians who I talk to who do not have a sliding scale, mm-hmm. but what they do is they might have a very active social media presence. Mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. might share general mental health tips and strategies. They have, they're very busy with, you know, email newsletters that go out mm-hmm. that share, these are some things that you can do when you have anxiety, you know, this does not replace therapy, but here are some tips, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, they leave what I like to call breadcrumbs that people can pick up if you can't necessarily afford therapy at this time, right? So, you know, if you have a sliding scale or if you don't, there are still ways that we can try to do what we can to Mm -hmm. be, you know, quote unquote, socially responsible or to to, to offer support to the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that perspective because that's even still within your same brand. Like I've heard folks too talk about the idea of like volunteer, like be engaged in your community in other ways. Right, right. Yeah, what I'm hearing is even under your, you know, your therapy brand and within the therapy you do, you can be helping people for free in other ways besides your one-on-one time. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So working with all these therapists as you do, I'm curious, what do you find people usually like overlook or forget when it comes to setting themselves up well? Yeah, I find I I have a day where I sit with therapists as they're trying to build out their practice. And one of the things that they often forget to point out is that they are going to be taking time off, Mm -hmm. right? Or Mm -hmm. there might be a time when they might need to take some sick time, uh, be away from the practice for whatever reason. As they're setting their fee or planning, you know, the income that they expect to make, Mm -hmm. they are forgetting that they will need income during the time that they're on vacation. Right. Yes. Or they will need income when they are ill or when they are taking sick time, right? It's really important that you factor those things in because you will need to eat when mm-hmm. you're on vacation. Yes, yes. You, your bills will still come they will. when you're on vacation. Yep. Even if you're not home, you, bills still and come. Even if you're not <laughs> <laughs> And you're expected to pay it, right? Even yes. if you, let's say you have to have surgery and you're on a bit of a short-term leave, those bills will still come. I find that therapists will plan for things like maternity leave or parents to leave, mm. uh, but they don't plan for when they're taking vacation. And so you have to build that in as you're trying to add up, you know, how much am I going to be making for the year or for the month? We need to factor that in. And so you will need to also think about that when you're planning to set your fee as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Same thing for if you expect to see a certain number of clients per week, but, you know, three people no show or they cancel within, you know, within reason and you can't get those filled. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to factor some of those things in as well. Totally. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you set yourself up for, you know, financial uncertainty. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I find like if we're not thoughtful like that, if we don't think about like, wait, what does life actually look like? Right. That's where you can come up with magical numbers, right? Yes. Like the math can look beautiful. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm going to see 20 <laughs> clients a week. I'm going to charge 175. I'm going to work, you know, obviously. Yeah. I'm going to be working 52 weeks a year and I'm going to make a bazillion dollars. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, that's not how life works. And, you know, I'm curious, why do you think therapists don't think about this? Like, what is it about therapists as a type or as a profession that we're not thinking about our vacation time, our sick time when we're planning out our futures? We just don't think of ourselves. Mm. I think we, many of us who are in this field, we live this life of service, of taking care of other people, of making sure other people are are well, and we put ourselves last, right? We live this life where we just don't consider ourselves. We put ourselves last, we take care of other people first, and then we wind up 
not planning for vacation. We wind up burnt out. We wind up uh, ill, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. I I also say to people, pay attention to, if you've been a therapist for a year or two, think about, let's say last year, when did you feel most burnt out? Mm. Maybe that's a time you need to take vacation. Maybe that's as you're planning for the next year. Maybe that's a time when you'll need to take vacation, when you will now need to plan financially. I'm going to be off for two or three weeks at this season. Mm -hmm. How can I ensure that I will have enough money for when I'm on vacation? Or there are certain seasons throughout the sort of therapy life cycle throughout the year that are not as lucrative where clients don't come in as much. Yes. And so you will need to, what will I need to put in place mm-hmm. during that season? Is that when I take vacation? Is that when I run a group session, a group yes. offering? Is yeah. that when I offer a webinar? And then you can start to supplement that income or think to yourself, okay, now it's time for me to take vacation, but I will still need to eat pay bills, do all these things during that season. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's really helpful to think about zooming out on that. Like I know something that I did this year, which I've never done before, is I took off a lot of time during the summer because I think I had this story that I don't like summer because I do. I get really hot. I'm really pale. I'm easily sunburned. I get sunstroke. (laughs) Like I'm like kind of not made for, you know, hot Ontario summer. But at the same time, what I had found is a couple of years in a row, it's like the summer goes by and suddenly it's fall. And I'm like, oh man, summer's over. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't go to the beach anymore. Or I can't go for a nice hike. And so I realized that I was ending my summers with like regrets that I hadn't really taken the time to enjoy it. And as you say yeah. too, in in the therapy world, often our clients are away in the summer. So something else that comes exactly. up for me is like, you don't want to feel regret, like resentful because right. your clients are off doing fun stuff and you're like sitting and in your office <laughs> being like, <laughs> exactly. doesn't anybody want to talk to me about hard things? <laughs> and so, yeah, it's also like that. Like think about, you know, like what are those kinds of trends? Because that can really inform. And something that that I did this year, which I have found immensely helpful is I plan my vacation the year out. Yes. So not, not when so it's right, like on the cusp, not when I've already accidentally booked something into that week I was thinking about ticking off, but make that the default. Yes. And then I actually have to cancel vacation time you know, rather than try to fit it in, fit it in later, yeah. it worked really well. Good. I was really, really pleased with the results. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's that like life of service piece. And I think functionally when we build a business that basically financially doesn't work unless we are working all the time, because we haven't planned right. for that time off, you do end up having to work all the time. Right. Because you literally can't afford to take time off. You can't afford to take time And then off. you're, you're going to get into that like worn down, possibly resentful, Exactly. And then you're no help to your clients. No, (laughs) no. And you're not living like the life that your clients think you are. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Roxanne, it's been so lovely having you on the podcast today. Oh, it's been great. If folks want to find you and follow you, where's the best social media place for them to connect with you? Yes, I hang out a lot on Instagram. You can find me at Francis Psychotherapy. You can also find me on Twitter sometimes at Francis Therapy. You can just search my name on LinkedIn. But yeah, I'm happy to uh, connect with individuals if they want to hang out with me, if they want to chit chat, slide into my DMs. I'm always here. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Roxanne. It's been wonderful talking with you. Always. It's been my pleasure, Lindsay. It's wonderful to talk about this stuff. It's my joy to pour into therapists. And if therapists are out there wanting to build out their part-time private practice into a full-time private practice, I run a VIP day just for that. Mm. So people can just uh, slide into my DMs or hit me up if they wanted to get on the waitlist for that. Awesome. Thank you.
think that Roxanne's point about therapists kind of living lives of service is a really good one. When that is kind of our general ethos, that's what we've maybe been raised to do, you know, even from a young age, always taking care of others. And then we go through professional training that just encourages that, uh, agencies that foster that, and then you get out on your own. And what are you used to doing, but just serving others all the time and thinking about their needs. But as she pointed out, if we don't think about things like our vacation time and our sick time, if we don't plan those things, then we end up with practices that don't work. Or we end up, you know, trying to skip being sick and skip taking vacation because we desperately need the money. So just thinking about yourself as a whole human who has needs as you're setting up your practice, or if you find you already have a practice that isn't working, that's something to think about is have I actually worked in my real needs financially, energetically, into my practice. So my practice is taking care of me as a full person, not just my kind of like my maximum productivity version of myself, but me as I actually am. Um, If we are not thinking of that, then we end up making practices that really don't take care of us and actually can be quite harmful to us. So wonderful thoughts and insights from Roxanne today. If you want more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at moneynutsandbolts. We share practical and emotional focused money content on there all the time. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It is the best way for other therapists to find the podcast. Thanks for listening today.